But this morning, uh, we're going to be um, continuing our series all about the kingdom of God and the signs that we see uh, when the kingdom of God is here, which basically means what should we be seeing when God is in charge, when the kingdom of God comes? And we've been looking at several different themes so far in our series. We've looked at joy, peace, and helping the needy. And this week, we're looking at comfort. So I'm going to be looking at um, what the Bible says about comfort. And then next week, uh, Jez is going to be continuing uh, looking at how we apply this to our lives and what that looks like um, offering comfort to others. So we see time and time again in the Bible that when Jesus speaks, he brings the message that the kingdom of God is here, that God is here amongst us. He is ruling over creation. So what does it look like to see the God who is in charge bringing comfort? How does he comfort us and how do we recognize it when he does? If you've ever experienced grief, disappointment, discouragement, depression, or loss of any sort, then us thinking about comfort is relevant to you this morning. We all need comfort in our lives at some point. Um, And Jesus knows how to comfort each of us. He knows how to comfort us as individuals. And that's going to look different depending on how God has made us. And at first glance, when you think about the word comfort and a comforter, I think it can seem contradictory that we talk about this God who is the king of kings, ruler of all creation, and then we call him a comforter. Because a comforter can seem quite there, there, hush, hush, very motherly, not very kingly. But as we read the passage today, we see that that is exactly the point. That our king, our king of kings, isn't a king sat high up on a throne looking down on us. That he comes down to meet us exactly where we're at. He comes down to sympathize with us, empathize with us, and even comfort us. So we're going to read from the Bible now. And um, we're going to be looking at a few characters from a story. And they're called Martha and Mary. And the story is found in John 11. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, then turn there. It's going to appear as a slightly different translation on the screen behind. Um, We're going to read the whole story. So it's a bit like story time. You need to get comfy. I am a primary school teacher, so I do like a bit of story time. Um, So we're going to read verses 1 to 45. um, And it's all about uh, the death of Lazarus. Okay. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Verse 11 says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, 
let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives in believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I hope you agree it's worth reading that whole story, a whole 45 verses, because it's a pretty cool story. Um, and it's really well told. Well done, John. It's a very well told story in the Bible as well. Um, and we're going to walk through it and unpack it a little bit. We're going to pull out the themes of Martha, Mary and me, or us, but that doesn't have alliteration. So Martha, Mary and me. So Jesus hears about one of his closest friend's illness. So he stays where he is a few more days and then goes to see him. And I love how plainly he has to spell it out to his disciples. He's obviously speaking metaphorically. He's asleep. I'm going there to wake him up. And they're going, Jesus, you've got more important things to do than go and wake your best mate up. And so it says in the scripture, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So we read that he makes his way to see Lazarus, who he knows has died, but he goes there to wake him up. Remember that he already knows this is going to happen. He knows that's the outcome and that this isn't the end of Lazarus' life, uh, that he's going to bring him back. 
And if we remember this as we unpack the story and look at Jesus' behavior, it makes the story even more interesting. He goes off to visit the dead Lazarus' family and bring him back, all in a day's work. When he arrives, he meets the first of Lazarus' two sisters, Martha. Now, we've met Martha before in the Bible when Jesus went to her house, and she was the sister who was busy tidying and cleaning, doing all the catering and the housework. Um, And Jesus taught her the lesson then. He was like, just stop. Just be still. Come and sit with me. Um, So he taught her to just stop being busy. Um, And it seems at first, at least, she's learned this lesson and really taken it on board because as soon as she hears that Jesus has come near, she's the one that drops everything and runs to go and see him. And when she gets there, she says, Lord, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. But I know even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She's grieving for her brother and gutted that Jesus didn't come sooner to save him. But she's also resting on that truth that he is still Lord and he is still in charge. Now, Jesus sympathizes with her and they enter a discussion of reasoning and Jesus challenging her about what she believes as truth. In fact, he sort of argues with her a little bit. In this time of comfort, he pushes her a little, making her think about what her life is built on, and he challenges what she says. He doesn't just let her rattle on and on and pat her on the back, all the while knowing what he's going to do in a few minutes' time. But instead, he pushes her to get the answers that she needs to know in that time. Her message is, well, you've come too late. But Jesus replies, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, those who believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? He pushes against her despair. He rebukes her doubt, and instead he gives her hope. And we see that she replies, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And sometimes when we need comfort, what we actually need is to remember that Jesus is the Messiah and that he came into the world for us. We need to remember that even in our grief and despair and disappointment, he is still in charge. And God knows who needs this kind of comfort and when. I know for me, if I was pushed a little bit like that when I needed comfort, most of the time it'd push me further into despair and I'd probably just cry. Um, But there are still times when what I do need is for a friend to be really frank with me um, and to challenge me and just put my eyes back on the hope that Jesus offers I remember being at New Day, which is the camp we take our youth to, and it was one of my first years there as a leader, um, and I was feeling so discouraged, and I was thinking, God, what am I doing here? I'm not as bold, as confident, as funny, as extroverted as all these other leaders. I've got nothing to offer the youth. This is really a waste of time. Um, And I really needed some comfort and affirmation. So I went to one of the seminars with the youth, and um, I kind of half knew the guy that was leading it, and he offered prayer afterwards. And I said, yes, I'm going to stay for prayer, and I'm going to get comforted, because I need comfort right now. Um, So I went up to him, and I told him how I was feeling, and I just thought, well, God's got it wrong. I'm not a youth leader. I've got nothing to offer these youth at all. Um, And the guy who was there, ready to pray for me, um, actually rebuked me um, and said, Polly, what you need to do is repent of this way of thinking. This is not who you are. This is not who God says you are. Um, and you shouldn't be believing these truths. And I was there a bit like, oh, well, I thought you would just comfort me and give me a nice prayer, and I'll go away walking on cloud nine. Um, but no, he, we said this prayer together, and I repeated this prayer of repentance with him. Um, and of course, after we'd done that, we then began to pray truths um, about who Jesus is. And I was comforted in that, because then I remembered he's in charge, and he does know what he's doing, and he doesn't make mistakes. So that was Martha and Jesus. 
Now let's look at Mary. She doesn't go to see Jesus straight away. But when she does see him, she says exactly the same sentence as her sister. Lord, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. So exactly the same words, but Jesus reacts completely differently to her. He doesn't argue with her. In fact, he's almost speechless. And he enters into her sadness with her. He empathizes with her. He weeps beside her. And he can only ask, where is he laid? We can see here how much he loved Lazarus. And despite having just claimed to Martha that he is the resurrection and the life, he is God, he responds to Mary in a fully human way. He feels the loss of death and he is grieving. The verses here tell us twice that Jesus was deeply moved. But the Greek word here means to bellow with anger. I'm not sure I've ever felt so passionate about anything to bellow with anger. I don't know what that sound would sound like coming from me. Um, I've had the, you know, the sea lion cry when you try and hold in tears and it kind <laughs> of comes out like that and it's all dramatic. Um, I've had plenty of that, but I've never bellowed with anger. And Jesus here is raging and he's raging against death. He doesn't offer, again, a comforting pat and uh, an unhelpful, well, we all die, we better get used to it. But actually, he goes right into the depth of Mary's despair. We know from passages like this that Jesus understands what it is like to hurt. And when he intercedes to the Father for us, he's not doing it out of sympathy, but out of experience and out of empathy. So Jesus is there and he's grieving with them. But remember, he knows he's got the power to bring Lazarus back. In fact, it's the whole reason he went there to see them was to bring him back to life. He knows that in a few minutes' time, Mary and Martha's grief is going to be wiped away completely. So why does he stand there and weep with them? Why does he join them in his despair if he knows what's about to happen? You might expect him to be a little bit excited with anticipation, maybe whispering, just wait until what I'm going to do next. But he doesn't react like that at all. Instead, he's weeping and vulnerable with Mary, a contrast to the strength he shows with Martha. Both these encounters show us that he really is both fully God and fully man. He is the lion and the lamb. In his book, Encounters with Jesus, Timothy Keller describes, and he quotes others as he describes this paradox like this. Despite his high claims, he is never pompous. You never see him standing on his own dignity. Despite being absolutely approachable to the weakest and broken, he is completely fearless before the corrupt and powerful. He has tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without the slightest lack of confidence, unhesitating authority with a complete lack of self-absorption, holiness and unending conviction without any shortage of approachability. Power without insensitivity. No one has yet discovered a word Jesus ought to have said. He is full of surprises, but they are all surprises of perfection. So this story of Martha and Mary, we see that Jesus can bring comfort because he's in charge. and He's even in charge over death. He knows how to comfort each of us to Martha, to Mary, and to me. 
to us. You see, because Jesus knows us personally, he knows when and how to comfort me. He knows when I need to be confronted with truths, when I need a loving friend to point me back to Jesus and who he is, and he knows when to weep with me, when to tell me to carry on, it's going to be okay, I am still in charge. Jesus is never strong when he needs to be tender or tender when he needs to be strong. I remember a time just after Joel was born um, and I was in what I now know to be postnatal depression and I was laying there in bed and, and he was in the Moses basket next to me. And um, you know what it's like when you hear that rustle, which means the baby's waking up again and you, your heart just sinks and you think, it's only midnight, but that could be the end of my sleep for the night. He might just cry for the rest of the night now. Um, and in that moment, I prayed my most sincere prayer that I think I have ever prayed. Um, and it went like this. Father. And that's all I could say. One word. And it was my deepest prayer I've ever prayed. And I was calling out to God in that moment for his comfort. I was in complete despair. Um, and in that stage, God did comfort me. And he gave me this picture. And um, I knew I was hanging on to a cliff by my fingertips. And I knew what I was really praying was that either in a very Popeye fashion, he'd give me some spinach and my muscles would bulge and it would be easy to hang there. I might still be there, but I'd be so strong it, it wouldn't really affect me very much. Or I just wanted him to pull me up and out, just get me out of this place. And he didn't do either of those things. But what he showed me is that he actually put his hands over my hands on that cliff. And he held me there. So I knew I wasn't going to fall. And I knew he was going to always be there. Because Jesus' comfort doesn't come to take our problems away, but to point to a future hope. It is going to be okay. I am in charge. I've conquered over death, and I'm not letting you go. And surely that should be our biggest comfort of all, that he has conquered over death. Yes, he comes to comfort us in those places where we are and in our despair and our loss. But actually, he points to a future hope that is real, not just a dream to hold on to, to give us a bit of hope in that moment, a bit of positivity. But we know it's truth. We know he is creator of heavens and earth. We know he has created a new heaven and a new earth for us to go. And that is our biggest hope of all. And that is what should comfort us the most um, in wherever we're at, whatever place we're in. So thinking back to our story, we see how Jesus comforted Martha, Mary, and brought Lazarus back to life. And it's an amazing story that reveals God's power, tenderness, and comfort. But it points to even more than that. You see, by Jesus performing this miracle, by bringing back one of his closest friends, he draws attention to himself. And the religious leaders of the time were watching and the leaders now realize how dangerous Jesus was to the peace of that land. It's all right, it's one thing a revolutionary going around saying things and claiming things, but when he starts bringing people back to life, people are going to sit up and notice. So they have a meeting, and later in the chapter, by verse 53, John says, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Jesus knew that this miracle would trigger the plotting of his death. He knew the only way to pull Lazarus out of the grave was to put himself into the grave. If 
he was going to save Lazarus, save me, save us from death, then he was going to have to bear the judgment that we deserve and go to the cross. That's why he wasn't excited and cheering as Lazarus was coming out of the grave. Actually, he was filled with sorrow. And yet he did it. He brought Lazarus out of death to lead us out of death as well. But in doing so, he put himself on the cross. We read in the story that the witnesses to this miracle exclaimed, see how he loved Lazarus. But really, what we should see from this story is see how he loves us. We're going to respond to this story um, of not just our comforter, who knows how to comfort each of us, but also this story that points to our saviour and what he did for us in laying down his life, giving us freedom from sin and condemnation, for the Jesus who comforts Martha, Mary, and me.